Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service, so we'll open our Bibles. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And we'll start with prayer. Lord, as we open our Bibles today, we kind of take for granted that we read these things and understand them pretty clearly. We don't realize that this is a special gift that you've given us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our lives and he's here in this room with us right now to do the translating. He translates what the speaker is saying, he translates what the ears are hearing, and he makes it real to us. So let us never take that wonderful blessing for granted. We give thanks for it, Lord. So make these words a part of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Yeah, we're going to start off in Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, you'll immediately recognize that this chapter is from the day of Pentecost when the church, for all intents and purposes, had its beginning, when God poured out the Holy Spirit as was prophesied. And uh, Peter gives a very profound and moving sermon on chapter 2 when uh, all these miracles happened and the great wind blew into the room where the disciples were meeting, tongues of fire appeared over each of their heads, and of course it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit and His presence now with these individuals and with the church as a whole. And Peter gives this very emotional sermon, powerful sermon, and he concludes it in verse 36 of Acts 2 by saying, Therefore let all Israel be assured that this Of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter is preaching the gospel. It's all about Jesus, who he was, what he came to do, and how he accomplished it. And notice when you preach the gospel, there's a response that normally takes place. And this even pertains to when you're talking to people. You know, uh, Eddie and I usually talk before services, and he was sharing with me his sense of joy of how he gets to talk to people on his job. I think we all know he sells cars. So there's always people coming into his office or his little cubicle, and in the midst of talking about cars, the subject sometimes comes up of life in general, of God, and he's always sure to bring God into the, into the conversation. And the people are blessed by what he has to say. He ministers to them in a sense. He has, God provides the opportunity and he takes advantage of it. It gives him a sense of satisfaction. Maybe you have a similar situation in your life where you have the opportunity to come in contact with people or talk to people. And sometimes people are hurting. Sometimes people need help of some kind. And you're able to offer words of encouragement to them and maybe assurance of that God loves them and what God is willing to do for them. And God, what God did do for, it, for them, how he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But there's a response that normally takes place when people hear the gospel. And such is the case here in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were struck emotionally because it was sinking in now who Jesus was. Maybe they personally were involved in killing him. And their response was, brothers, based on what you said here, what shall we do? What does God desire of us? 
Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And you know, that's a little prophecy there about us, because we're the ones who are far off, Gentiles, and God eventually called us. And here we responded as well. When we heard the gospel, we had a very similar response. Wow, Jesus did that for me? He didn't just die for the world, but he died for me personally to pay the penalty for the sins that I've committed personally. And most all of us responded in a similar way. And when we read about how we needed to repent and be baptized, we did that. There are some among us who, who have, haven't reached that point yet. Repent means to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. It not only means to go to God and to apologize for all the things you've done wrong, but also to change your mind, not only about those things and that lifestyle that you've been living up to that point, but to change your mind about God, to come to understand a little bit more deeply who he is and what he's all about and how he feels about me personally. Because we may not have learned about God, or we may have thought that God hates us, or uh, God will have nothing to do with us. He has no time for us. So when you read the gospel and understand it, you change your outlook on God. You come to see him in a different way. So we repented of our sins, work to continue to do that. God is continually modifying and changing the way we view him because we're, we're forever learning more about him. I know within the past 10 years, I've probably learned more about God than I've known all my life. Repent and be baptized. So baptism is the natural response to hearing the gospel. And, uh, you know, our baptism experience is very varied in this room right here. I know that my situation was, I was baptized as a newborn infant in the Catholic Church. And you know what? I'm forever grateful to my parents for doing that. Now, the reason they did that was because the Catholic Church teaches that you need to be baptized, you need to have that physical act performed over you in order to make it to heaven, in order to be saved, and so on. And you know what? I never repented before I was baptized as about a week old baby. <laughs> I didn't know anything that was going on. Uh, I didn't know if I had done anything wrong. Probably at the age of about a week, I don't think I had the opportunity to do anything wrong. So repentance, of course, didn't mean anything to me. And furthermore, I have no memory of my baptism in the Catholic Church. There may be a certificate floating around someplace saying that I was baptized, but I certainly don't remember it. In other words, it was my parents' decision to have me baptized because they wanted me to be saved. And like I said, I'm always thankful to my parents for that. They brought me up the right way, the way that they knew best to bring up a child. But you know what? As the years went by, and I've told you this story before, I was very involved in the Catholic Church. But when I reached about the age of 18, entered into college, I started to kind of fade away from the Catholic Church. Uh, going to the Mass week after week was not doing anything for me. It was a matter of going into the church, sitting there, witnessing the Mass take place, and leaving. 
it wasn't changing my life personally. Uh, so I wandered away from the Catholic Church. But then, maybe a few years later, I don't remember exactly how old I was, 18, 19, 20, I started to hear a, a, a radio program that began to, to change me, to get me interested in the Bible. And of course, it was the radio program put on by this denomination way back when. A lot of you will remember it. But there was a particular man speaking, and he was really challenging me. He was teaching me about the Bible, and he was challenging me to open my Bible, to read for myself what the Bible said. And we had a family Bible tucked away in our house someplace that my parents had purchased. And it was basically a place to write in the front. There was a section, like in this Bible, special events. You write births, uh, deaths, things like that. It was kind of a, a family registry. Uh, the Bible wasn't used for anything else. It was never brought out and read, except when somebody died or when somebody was born. And, my mother would say, oh yeah, we've got to write that in the Bible to keep track of these special events that happened in our family. And the Bible to our family was nothing more than that. But here was a man I was hearing on the radio, and he was talking about different things, teachings in the Bible, and he was challenging me to open my own Bible, blow the dust off of it, and read it. And I started to do that. And my parents were a little upset about that. They were confused and didn't understand why I was doing that because they had never really gotten the Bible out. The Catholic Church didn't promote Bible reading. And here I was studying my Bible. They may have thought I was getting a little kooky, but I was doing it. And the time came that uh, going to our church services at that point in time, I learned about baptism. And I kind of knew that I was baptized as an infant, but I was learning that Baptism is supposed to be preceded by repentance. And you know, I did never remember repenting as a newborn infant. And I wanted to make sure that I was right with God. So in talking to the minister at that time, he said, certainly you can be baptized again. And furthermore, I learned that baptism, as the Bible teaches it, is by immersion. Now in the Catholic Church as a baby, nobody immersed me in anything. I had water sprinkled on my forehead. But I thought, wow, this baptism by immersion is a powerful thing because it symbolizes something. It symbolizes death and burial and resurrection. So I told the minister at that time, you know, I'd like to be baptized. I said the right way or the biblical way. And they uh, corresponded with that and they uh, agreed I could be baptized again. And I remember the day uh, I was still living with my parents, still single, of course, and I was getting clothes ready and towel ready to be baptized. And my mother saw it, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to be baptized today. And she said, you know, you were baptized in the Catholic Church, and that's something you'll always have. <laughs> I said, yeah, Mom, I understand. I understand, but I'm going to go ahead and, and be baptized again by immersion, so I need the towel and I need the change of clothing and all that sort of thing. And uh, I tried to encourage my mother, saying, you know, I think this is what I need to do. Because this decision to be baptized is between me and God. Amen. When you had me baptized years and years ago, that was basically between you and God. You wanted what was best for your child, and I appreciate that. Thank you for having me baptized. But I want to do this now between me and God. See, God is no longer my parents' God. 
God is now going to be my God. And before I'm baptized, I want to make sure I repent, that I'm thinking the right way about God, that I'm understanding what this is all about, what's going to be required of me now as a Christian, and I'm entering into this with my eyes wide open. And it's between me and God because he's now my God. I don't know, many of you have probably had a similar experience. Now, was your baptism as an infant legit? Well, it depends on you and how you feel. If you feel God's at work in your life, then well, very well, it could be. But that's your decision, and, and this was my decision. I know my wife went through a very similar circumstance. She was baptized as a newborn infant, but there came a time in her life where she decided, I want to do this the right way, with my full knowledge, with my approval, and so we were baptized. I personally feel that it made a change in my life. I really felt, began to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, being baptized as an infant, I was told that that happened, and I was, you know, kind of assumed, well, I didn't even know about the Holy Spirit back in those days when I was a child. But as I learned all these things, I decided, you know, I'd really like to do it the right way. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. You know, it's good for all of us to understand these things about not only your life, but the lives of others you have a chance to come in contact with. And you know, I think in your role as a Christian, especially as a parent, your immediate mission field is your children. Because just as my parents wanted to make sure that I had things happen to me that were good in God's eyes, we all feel the same way about our kids. So, you know, our kids, our four children who are now adults, always came to church and heard sermons about this and that. And the time came, as they got a little bit older and understood what it was all about, they made the decision that they wanted to be baptized. You know, we didn't force them into it. We didn't uh, browbeat them about it. But you know what? Sometimes kids need a word of encouragement because they can just come to church and feel, well, here I am at church again. And... I'm here with my parents, and they don't really feel a part of what's going on. And sometimes our, our kids may be a little too immature, or maybe they don't feel quite ready to make a commitment to God, but sometimes a word of encouragement goes a long way to say, hey, you know, you're of the age now where you certainly can be baptized. And, uh, you know, here's what the Bible says, repent of your sins. You know, you've done stuff wrong in your life. Some of it I'm aware of, some, probably most of it I'm not, uh, even though you're my kid. And you know what you need to repent of, and you know some of the changes that need to take place in your life. So, you know, you're always free to approach the pastor and say, hey, you know, I'd like to be baptized. And he'll talk to you about it, and you can go ahead and make that commitment to God. Mark chapter 1 in verse 9, talks about Jesus' baptism. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Now, Jesus wasn't a repentant sinner. He never sinned in his life. But what he was doing here was setting an example for us, and he was teaching us a lesson. It says, verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending from him, or descending on him like a dove. 
Now, this is a, a perfect proof here, this passage, that our God is one God in three persons. Because you see, all of three of them show up at this incident. Jesus coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice, the voice of the Father, a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This word baptized, baptizo, means to dip or to immerse something. It actually came from the word used, you know, back in Bible days when particular cultures used to dye pieces of clothing, to dye it a different color. And to dye something, you completely immerse that object into the dye, into the liquid, and then it's, it's fully, takes on the full color that you uh, intend. So we're not sprinkled with water, although there are times when you can't really immerse somebody. You know, somebody may call me from prison and say, well, I'd like to be baptized. And there's no facilities there to immerse them in water. So yeah, at that point in time, go ahead and sprinkle them with water. It's fine. Somebody may be in their deathbed in the hospital and call me and say, Pastor, I'd like to be baptized. There's no tank of water that you can put them in. So you can't sprinkle in a time like that. But when it is possible, the person should be completely put under water. Now, what we do in our church is we use the YMCA and Boardman. They're very open. It's a Christian organization, and they allow for Christians or church people to come in, and they open up a big pool to us. So what we do is we just step down into the pool and uh, have the person hold their breath. <laughs> just put them under water briefly, bring them back up, and that's the immersion. So... When we baptize a person, it symbolizes death, burial, and then resurrection from the dead. Not only for you, but it shows us what Jesus did for us. Amen. So you see, when we're baptized, it's not the actual act that saves you. What saves you is what Jesus did for you. And now you're claiming it personally in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died for the whole world. I mean, he did it. He did it for you before you even knew about it, before you were ever born. You didn't give him permission to die for you on the cross. He just took it upon himself to do it. So it's done. It's out there. It's available to you. Now, what you are called on to do when you hear the gospel is to make it real to you personally. And when you come to hear the gospel and believe, Jesus says, go ahead and be baptized. So, what happens when you're baptized? You know, it, it kind of has the symbolism of washing, okay? In the Old Testament, there were certain washings that they would do, ceremonial washings to kind of symbolically wash the sin away from your life. But you know what? H2O, water, is not capable of taking sin away from you. It's a nice thought, it's a nice ceremony, but what is it that takes sin away from you? Thank you. Jesus' death on the cross. That's what actually brings about the forgiveness of your sins. So, baptism is a way of publicly declaring the decision that you've made to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay? 
That's why he says be baptized. And when you're baptized, what, what, what you're picturing is, okay, the minister takes you, you hold your breath, he holds your nose, he puts you under, brings you back up. What has just happened there is we have symbolized and portrayed to anybody watching and to you yourself and to the minister that you, the person that you've been all your life, is now going to die. And you are going to be buried. And when he brings you up, it is a resurrection for you to a new life. No longer a life dictated by uh, fleshly temptations and, you know, your choice of how you decide to live, you're now going to begin a spirit-led life. Because when you're baptized, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will enter into you and begin to guide you from inside out. Don't forget, we don't look to tablets of stone, you know, with laws and rules and regulations. We have something better. We have the Holy Spirit who is now dwelling in us giving us direction and guidance as to how to live. Now, you have the choice to follow that or ignore it. <laughs> but the Bible warns us about quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like a fire, and when, you know, the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you what to do and, and how to be and how to live, if you reject that, it's like taking a bucket of water and pouring it on that fire, which is represented, representing the Holy Spirit. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. This guide that God has given you, guiding you from inside out, and I've you know, used the example many times. I get into a discussion with my wife and I get upset and she's not agreeing with me or understanding the point I'm trying to make, so what do I do? I raise my voice to make sure she's hearing me. And you know, I walk away and the Holy Spirit says to me, John, you idiot. <laughs> Go back there and apologize for what you just did. You know better. You know, a Christian husband and a Christian father is not supposed to act like that. You're supposed to be kind and loving. So I have a decision to make. Am I going to do a 180, go back in the kitchen and say, dear, you know what, I'm sorry for what I just said, or I'm sorry for my attitude. Please forgive me. Or I can say, oh, I'm not going to go back in that kitchen. I am not going to lower myself and apologize because I know I'm right. See, that's the decision I have to make. That's the decision you have to make. But follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. He's telling you what to do. Amen. Telling you how to walk in the Spirit. Telling you how to lead a Christian life. So go back in there and do the right thing. So when we're baptized, we symbolize this. But what's more... We not only symbolize our life, we symbolize what Jesus has done so that we can be saved, so that we can receive the Holy Spirit, because it was Jesus, first and foremost, who died on the cross, was buried, who rose from the dead to a new life, glorified. So, you know, sometimes before people are baptized, they worry about some things. They think... Am I good enough to be baptized, first and foremost? Am I good enough to be baptized? You don't have to be good to be baptized. You have to be a sinner to be baptized. So can you admit that you're a sinner? I know I could. I still struggle from time to time. That's what you need to be to be baptized. It's not that you're good enough. It's a matter that Jesus is good enough, and he is good enough. 
for you to be baptized. Because it's not our righteousness that saves us. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is credited to us that saves us. Okay? So you don't have to worry about whether you're good enough. You have to worry about if you're a sinner. And the scripture says, there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and Romans 6 says that. So yeah, we all need to be baptized because we're all sinners. But there are people in the world who refuse to admit that they're sinners. They say, I'm okay. I don't need a savior. And the reason they say that is that they're constantly comparing themselves to other people. And you could always find somebody who's worse than you, can't you? They're in prison. You know, uh, they're this, they're that. They're the drug dealers. They're the prostitutes. They're, you know, all, hey, I'm not that. So I'm, I'm okay. I don't need a savior. I don't need God involved in my life. So before you can be baptized, you've got to realize that there's a lot wrong with you. Amen. That God can heal and that God can change. And that's why I didn't feel comfortable just being baptized as a newborn baby because I wasn't thinking, <laughs> you know. It wasn't real to me. So baptism symbolizes death, burial, and then resurrection. It's not just ours. Yeah, we indeed are now dead to sin and the, uh, uh, the effects of sin. Jesus saved us from that. And we have been risen to a new life, a spirit-led life. Amen. And there's something else that you're immersed into when you're baptized. You're immersed, you know, when, when you're put under water, you're immersed, you're, you're into something, fully covered by it. That ceremony also shows us that we become immersed in the triune life of God. The life of the Father, the life of the Son, and the life of the Holy Spirit. We become part of that relationship that they have. Amen. You know, the Bible elsewhere tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. Jesus says that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And then we are also in him. There's that Greek word that I, I like to use. It's called perichoresis. It's mutual indwelling. That's what, what we're immersed in. Into the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're brought into that. They're all on our side. The Father's on our side, the Holy Spirit's on our side, Jesus is certainly on our side. We're immersed into a relationship. We're not just on our own as Christians. God is not far off. God is right here. God is actually dwelling in us, and we're dwelling into the triune relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just Jesus that's on our side. It's also the Father that's on our side, and the Holy Spirit that's on our side. So we're immersed into that relationship. And you know what? God's not going to let you go either. For all eternity, we're going to be in that relationship. So baptism is about not what, just what Jesus has done with regard to our sins. It's what he has done for our human nature. He's washed it. He's crucified it. He's resurrected it. And he's caused 
it to ascend with him because there's a scripture Ephesians 2 6 where Paul says we are seated in heavenly places not in the future we are right now if you will seated in heavenly places because we have committed our lives to God through his son Jesus Christ and our future is so certain we can be assured that our salvation and our eternal reward is sure as far as we're concerned we don't have to fear about that we don't have to have doubts about that because like I said our salvation is not based on our efforts in any way it is based on what Jesus has done for us and his perfect righteousness. So don't fear. Don't fear that God is going to forsake you, that he's done with you, he's, he's had it with you, he's fed up with you. That's our thinking and that's Satan whispering in our ear. Our salvation is sure in Jesus Christ. Amen. So once we're saved, yeah, that's what, when we begin to learn how God now wants us to live. But our righteous living, our trying to, to do the right thing, that's not how we're saved. We live the right way now, at least we try to, in response to what God has done for us. Salvation is a free gift. It is by grace you're saved, not by works, not even by any good works that you try to do. That's not going to save you. You know, uh, God said in the book of Isaiah, all your righteousnesses, are as filthy rags. What does that mean? That means if we try to do good deeds just of our own personal goodness, God rejects that. The only good deeds that we can do that God will accept are deeds that are done in his name. Deeds that are done by a Christian who is now being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that all glory goes to God for the Amen. good things that we try to do. There's a big difference there, you see. So, again, people ask the question, am I good enough to be baptized? It has nothing to, to do with your goodness. It has to do with the goodness of Jesus Christ. But understand this, you know, salvation's a wonderful gift and it's given freely, but it involves a change of lifestyle. God's going to change our lifestyle. He's going to change it from inside out. Amen. Turn with me to John 15. Jesus kind of portrays this here in this particular parable or this uh, teaching. John 15, beginning in verse 1. Okay, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've repented. You've been baptized. Now you're part of the vine. What is that? Well, it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So we come to uh, Jesus with a lot of dead branches in our lives. You know, there's a lot of stuff in our life that needs to change. And it is God's purpose to change that in our life. So expect that God is going to do some pruning in your life. There's a change in lifestyle that's going to take place. All the sinful things that you used to do, maybe that was the way you lived, God's going to change that. 
If you had a particular addiction, God's going to start working on that. If you're living in sin, living with a person of the opposite sex, and you're not married, you're not committed to each other in marriage, God's going to change that. Expect it. It's going to happen. A change in lifestyle. He's going to do some pruning in your life. And, you know, they used to, to say that plants can feel, and maybe they can. They say you should talk to your plants. They'll be healthier, you know. Do plants feel pain when you prune them, when you cut branches off, you know? I guess scientists used to test them to see if there was any reaction when you cut off a branch or something like that. It's painful for us, you know. So these lifestyle changes that God's going to bring about are going to hurt. Some of them are going to sting. But you know what? God's doing it for your good. I remember when, you know, I started attending services with our church. And, of course, we were very legalistic back, back in those days. And, man, there were a lot of changes that I had to go through in, in my life. And there were times when, you know, I was reading the Bible thinking, wow, I haven't been doing that. I need to start doing that. Or I have been doing that, and I need to stop doing that. And sometimes I felt like, is there ever going to be an end to this? It seems like every time I open my Bible, I'm learning something else that I got to stop doing or start doing. And it was frustrating, and those changes were hard sometimes. But that's what God's going to do. So we try to, to teach people and help them to understand that, hey, yeah, salvation's free. It's, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it in any way. All you have to do is claim Jesus as your Savior. Repent and be baptized. But you know what? God's going to turn you into something better than what you are right now. He's going to begin to transform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen. So take heart. All those changes that hurt and sting a little bit, it's actually making you more like Jesus. I remember one time a sculptor, can't remember who it was, but uh, he sculpted some very beautiful things, you know, human figures, animals, and all that sort of thing. And he had this big block of stone, and they asked him, well, how do you turn that big block of stone into a beautiful bird or a beautiful horse? He says, well, I just carve away anything that doesn't look like a horse or a bird. That's artists. They're a little crazy. <laughs> but that's what God is doing. He is carving away from your life and my life everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And it's painful. Just like the, the sculptor with the chisel and the hammer, or you know, like the uh, person working the garden who's clipping away all the dead branches. It takes effort. It hurts. It stings a little bit. But are you willing to have that transformation in your life? Before you be baptized... First of all, you've got to admit, you've got to humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner. Secondly, you need to go to God to accept this free gift. You symbolize it publicly by being baptized after you repent. And then you need to respond to the lead of the Holy Spirit. And uh, yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit because it means you're going to have to make some changes in your life. But they're God-ordained changes. There are changes that are going to please God, and there are changes that are going to work out best for you. It's going to change your life from a life of curses to a life of blessings. 
You know, the question arises, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Turn with me to Mark 16, verse 16. Mark 16, verse 16. It always talks about people coming to a certain stage in their life before they're baptized. I think this scripture portrays it pretty clearly. Mark 16, verse 16. Jesus giving the, the great commission to the church, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So before being baptized, there's a certain belief that has to be there. You have to believe in all this, okay? So you have to come to, to a point where you have studied, you have heard the gospel, and you actually believe it. You say, yeah, this is for me. I want to participate in this. Now, when I was a newborn baby being baptized, I didn't believe. I didn't understand anything. So you got to reach a certain point in your life where you believe, that you understand enough that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. There's another scripture here in Acts 2, verse 41. Acts 2, and verse 41. It's the results of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He gave the sermon told them about baptism and repentance. In verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you hear the gospel and you have to accept it. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins. So a person has to reach a point in life. And I talked about working with your kids. You have to teach them the gospel. On a regular basis, you have to help them to understand who Jesus was, why he came to this earth, and what he accomplished on the earth. When you look at the cross, what is that cross about? Well, it symbolizes what Jesus did for us, and it's become kind of a symbol for all Christians. And he's not on the cross anymore. You know, the Catholic Church has the crucifix, where it's a cross with Jesus on it. Christians, on the other hand, have a cross because Jesus is no longer on the cross. Amen. He was buried, but then he rose back to life and he ascended up to heaven. That's why we don't have Jesus on the cross. You have to help them to understand what that is. And then you need to pray for them a lot, that they'll come to the point in life, the stage in life where they were, are going to want a personal relationship with Jesus themselves. Now, last week we had a beautiful ceremony up here of the dedication of babies, okay? And what we did as we prayed up here was to ask God not only to protect them now, watch over them, guide them, put your angels about them, but bring them to the point in life, help the parents to teach them, to prepare them so that the day will come, the day themselves will request baptism and they will believe and they will understand what it's all about.
See, what we believe is what has been revealed in this book. You know, without this book, where do you go for knowledge about God? The only thing we know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is what is revealed in His Word. And for most of it, we take Jesus' Word. Because He was sent here to represent the Father and to teach us about the Father. Without Jesus' Word, without the Gospel here, we wouldn't know hardly anything about God the Father. It has all been revealed to us. So here it is. Do you believe it? You know, to many people, this is just a book. I was reading an article the other day where it called this myth. Just a myth that some people are bamboozled by. <laughs> that some, you know, weak-minded people use this as a crutch somehow to help them through their, their day. I resent that comment. This is my life. This is the revealed word of God. I base my life on this book. I believe it. I more than believe it, I try to live it. And that's what we need to do. That's what baptism is about. That's what it symbolizes. So baptism is vitally important. Is it absolutely necessary? to be baptized in order to make it to heaven? Well, I think of the thief on the cross. He didn't really have a chance, but he believed and he expressed his belief, not only to Jesus, but to the other criminal hanging on the other cross as a witness. And Jesus said, today you're gonna to be with me in paradise. But if we have the opportunity to be baptized, we certainly should. It's one of the sacraments of the church. You know, in Christianity as a whole, we have two sacraments. A sacrament is a physical thing that has profound spiritual meaning. What are our two sacraments? Baptism and communion. Thank you. So, hopefully you understand a little bit more in detail what baptism is all about, why we're commanded to do it when possible. And in the, the way that he prescribes it, baptism by immersion and what it pictures, I urge you to share this message with your kids. You know, as they grow up, don't pressure them. Don't belittle them or anything like that, but encourage them. Say, hey, you know, you're reaching the age now where you yourself can be baptized and enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you, you know, maybe you were baptized as an infant. And you might think, you know, I never had the opportunity to do that of my own volition. You know, if you would want to be rebaptized as I was and as my wife was, let me know. We can make arrangements for, to do that. And, you know, sometime maybe before Easter, I'd like to have a baptism ceremony over at the Y. And, uh, you know, if we get any kind of response, we'll certainly go ahead and do that. And hopefully it will be meaningful for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for baptism, followed by repentance and belief. And we see a little bit more clearly now what it's all about. It is a baptism that assures us of what has been done on our behalf and what we can claim as our own. But we have to be advised that it requires a change of life that is sure to happen. And help us always want to participate in that. We can't change ourselves, but we know you can change us, God, for the better. And as long as we don't dig our heels in and 
make it hard for you, we know that these changes will take place. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And we can see it in each other here in this room. Uh, people that we've known for years and years and years. We've seen wonderful changes in their lives. We've seen how they've mellowed, how they've become more loving, more serving. And we know that the credit and the glory for all that goes to you. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and for inspiring us to want to take advantage of that in our own individual lives. And, and we pray, Lord, just as the Great Commission says, that we should baptize others. We hope that you'll bring people to us that can be baptized for your glory and for their salvation. So thank you again, Lord. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.